My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Hello and welcome back to the KingCast. My name is Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. Uh, we are here today to talk about one of the, the, the rare King anthology movies. And to do that, we brought in a guest who you've seen in such films as The Devil Wears Prada, The Giant Mechanical Man, Summer of 84, Rob Reiner's LBJ, little King connection. We'll talk to him about that in a second. But most of our listeners will probably recognize him from his role of Harry Crane on AMC's Mad Men, one of the best television shows of the past two decades, without question. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Rich Summer. Rich, how are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? Living the dream. You know, <laughs> everything is fine. Dead silence, as everyone considers that. All right. <laughs> how are how are you holding up though? Like you, you have kids, right? Two. I do. Yeah, two kids. I uh, I have a, a, a I guess almost thirteen year old daughter and a ten year old son. Oh, right and on. Uh, you know, they're they're zooming it up. School zoom zoom school. It's great. Oh. That's well, that, most of the people we've talked to that have had kids during quarantine are all like one is one and one is three, one is two and one is four, like that sort of thing. So 10 and 13 sounds like it's probably a little, little more manageable than uh, some of the nightmare scenarios we've talked to with other they people. They do tend to be fairly independent with the school stuff, which is really helpful, makes, yeah. makes it easier for us to sort of go about our lives, which is nice um, mm-hmm. that the summer was real long uh but now that school's in full swing it's um it's a lot it's a lot simpler now you're in california right la yep are you near the fires or any of that that's happened or have you been keeping it safe you know uh we're not we're not near the fires as in in danger of them sweeping through our neighborhood but we're near enough that there have been days certainly where our air quality index advised us to stay indoors um, yeah. so we've, we, we try to sort of follow that stuff. Uh, you know, we're, we're big on following the rules that, <laughs> that scientists tell us to follow. So it just added, added it to the heap of shit we have to do. So <laughs> that sort of thinking makes you a radical in the year. That's right. 2020 That's right. Is, is my understanding. Well, let's get talking about Stephen King. What is your, what is your Stephen King origin story? Did you come to the books first or the movies? I think. I think I came to the books first. I mean, I, I they came roughly around the same time. I think Night Shift was my first uh, Stephen King book. I, I loved the short story stuff. So I went mm-hmm. I, pretty much from Night Shift right into Skeleton Crew. But then I also read some of the novels on a, at a fairly young age. I read Firestarter when I was in junior high. I know I read Pet Cemetery in eighth grade. I only remember that because one of the bullies in school as I was reading it in math class, I was done with my work and he knocked pet cemetery out of my hand. And I said, fuck you, his last name. And he said, uh, what'd you say summer? And I, I repeated it and he said, stand up. And then he punched me in the face in the middle of math class. Well, that's, how I can, that's how I can pinpoint exactly when I was reading pet cemetery. Um, and then uh, you, uh, you got the best of him and then you buried him in an Indian burial ground. That's right. And now he's back. 
uh, and better than ever. And you um, got to kill him twice. That's right. That's right. Now he's Secretary of State. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I was reading the books pretty young and then I, watching the movies, I, I think probably my first King movie was Creepshow, which has ended up being, you know, my all time favorite horror movie. It was it was one of the first horror movies I watched as well. And so it really sort of set the tone for for me horror wise. And then, you know, I, I've I've watched as as many of them as I could. I watched it when it first aired. And mm-hmm. I know a lot of people perhaps don't have the affection for that TV miniseries that I do, but I definitely have it. I, I love that miniseries still. I've, I watched it just a few years ago again and, and have re-prepared to watch it again this year. So I, I like it a lot. Anyway, the point is I've, I've been around uh, for a long time with them. I think that thing with it is a generational thing definitely. because, you know, if you were around to see that when it aired and you were a kid or say 10 to 15, I think that it's pretty iconic. You know, that was a big deal when it happened. It's a little rickety by 2020 standards. If you go back and watch it now, it's kind of like, well, this is a made for TV movie. Well, yeah, of course. So the, the new movie versions are, are way slicker by comparison. And I'm sure that it seems like the current generation uh, prefers those, but what did you think of the movies that way? I do think, well, just a quick point though. I do think Tim Curry is effectively untouchable. I don't, you can quibble about the effects and you can quibble about some of the style choices and whatever, but I just, uh, I just think he's untouchable in that movie. Um, as far as the new movies, I didn't love them. Mm -hmm. Um, I watched the first one, the first weekend it came out. I was really excited. I had never read the novel and I read the entire novel, uh, in the lead up to the first one coming out. I don't know if that was a net plus or a net minus, but um, (laughs) I was sort of underwhelmed by the first movie. And then when the second movie came out, I, in one day, rewatched the first movie in the morning just to make sure. And then I went and saw the second one and I, I remained sort of underwhelmed. I thought it did some stuff really, really well. No question about it. But as far as what I would choose my preferred interpretation remains the uh the the tommy lee wallace uh tv movie well going going back to the to the miniseries stuff like people don't really understand there's nothing quite like that today i think that there could be a whole like book written about how king his longevity owes a lot to the 90s miniseries because they those were so uh huge events they were giant events yeah. it's like you look at the outsider which is objectively better produced than no, almost you know definitely any of the 90s miniseries but like it didn't doesn't have the same impact it's like when it played or the stand played it was like horror roots right everybody was you know was talking about it, it you know it was it was the uh, the water cooler conversation piece were those those tv movies there was also yeah. less shit to watch then. Well, right. You know? That's why everything was event TV. I mean, yeah, you know, everybody at school talked about, <laughs> you know, the episode. I remember he, everyone at school talking about Alf the day after it would air. Like everybody <laughs> watched Alf. So it it was, uh, you know, I was I was over at a friend's house. I remember watching the first part of the miniseries, and I watched the second part of the miniseries at home, and everybody talked about it. And everyone was terrified of Pennywise at the same time. Uh-huh. And it was great. 
everybody had to watch it at the same time. There, there was no, I'm going to DVR it or whatever. It's like, maybe, right. maybe you could have figured out, you know, the, uh, the VCR record system. Maybe if you wanted to watch it, you had one shot and you had to all watch it at the same time. Yeah, that's true. I guess the closest thing that I've seen to that recently is they staged those like live musicals on network TV. Now I've never watched any of them. That's just not, a thing I'm ever going to be interested in, but anytime they, they do one of those, like my, like on social media, it'll, you know, there's a, a fair number of people that are all watching them, but I don't know if there's like any real longevity to those things. Yeah. It's like sports. Like people like to watch yeah. sports live as well. Yeah. And if I, I I'm going to dial us back even further for a moment to the Tim Curry thing. Tim Curry fucking rules as, as Pennywise, yeah. but I think comparing him to what, um, What's his name? Sarsgaard. Um, um, yeah, I forget which Sarsgaard he is. <laughs> He's one of the Sarsgaards. Bill Sarsgaard. Bill Sarsgaard. Yeah, that's it. Uh, it's almost apples and oranges. And the design of Pennywise himself, I think, is intrinsic to that. You know, the Tim Curry version is very cut and dried. It's not like as ornate as the new Pennywise is, if that makes sense. And I think just the the whole visual thing going on with each one really informs how you interpret those those performances. I listened to an interview with Tommy Lee Wallace on another podcast talking about making it. And he said something basically to that effect that he felt the newer interpretation of Penny's Pennywise was never a version that any kid would feel comfortable approaching. Right. Like already already you're stretching it a little bit to suggest a kid will talk to anyone that's talking to them from a sewer drain. But <laughs> uh, when you make it this already just to look at them, terrifying thing. Um, and, and, and I think another thing too, is that the new it comes after decades of people already being terrified of clowns. And part of why people are terrified of clowns yeah, is true. the 1990 TV movie of it. Right. So, so they're kind of working against a fear that, that was planted partially. I mean, there were, there were people scared. I mean, there are scary ass clowns going all the way back. Bozo in black and white is upsetting, but it was really hammered home by, by Tim Curry. And I think, so they're sort of working upstream anyway, uh, but then to, to go ahead and make him just utterly terrifying just to even look at him or, or hear him seems to sort of work against the um the allure of him well it, it's also something to consider uh, not, not that we're we're turning this into an it episode but it's i, I don't care i'm gonna talk about it as long as uh, you guys want to it's 2020 um, baby there's no rules <laughs> no rules just right is that when you move the setting like i i grew up in in the 80s so it's like i don't know exactly what clown would have been fitting for that time but when you have the original miniseries is set like the books where it's what the 50s late 50s early 60s right and that is the era of bozo right so it makes sense that tim curry would look like Mm -hmm. that that thing but like what were clowns like in the 80s like ringling brothers i guess maybe like what what would have been the more apt design for the 80s pennywise you got your uh yeah your ronald mcdonald's and your your Bozo and uh, that sort of, I mean, there was just sort of that standard goofy clown affair from back when clowns were supposed to be funny. And then the, uh, the they white pancake funny. Yeah, makeup exactly. and the fake like plastic red hair. Yeah. 
I think making them, like you said, making a movie in the wake of the impact of the Tim Curry clown, you, they just couldn't repeat the Tim Curry clown. I think it, it was actually quite a ingenious move to cast Pennywise as somebody very young. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was something that Kerry Fukunaga was, was, uh, starting to do when he was casting because he cast Will Poulter initially and he Will Poulter if they had actually made that version I think would have only been like seven six or seven years older than a lot of the kids I can't even imagine what that version of it would have been like no it's It's a very strange thing to think of yeah Yeah. and and Fukunaga's version of Pennywise was also going to be way more fucked up looking like almost like an abstract clown so Will Poulter under that makeup Man, I, I just can't, I can't imagine it. Anyway, let's talk about Cat's Eye. Why pick Cat's Eye? Well, like I said, Creepshow was um, sort of one of the first movies for me that that really grabbed me into horror. And so finding very quickly another anthology style movie, which at the time I didn't really know how to even describe that kind of a movie um, right. as an anthology style movie. But to find another movie that was a bunch of short stories put together into one long story sort of quote unquote um by Stephen King again I was just uh I was excited not to mention that by virtue of Cat's Eye being rated PG-13 I was allowed to watch it at my house whereas Creepshow being rated R I had to watch at a friend's house in his basement when his parents were asleep so it it made uh it made things uh, a little easier so my brother and I watched Cat's Eye a million times when we were kids uh, which made this this revisiting it uh, quite interesting because I think there were things I definitely missed, and um, there were there is clearly a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in it for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've been finding that out a lot on this show, uh, going back and revisiting some of these movies. We had a, an episode the other day, and I mentioned I was listening to it, and I mentioned offhandedly thinner. I was like, yeah, I like Thinner. That's a good one. And since we had taped that, <laughs> like I had seen Thinner again for another episode. Oh. Thinner sucks. Yeah, I was so, and I was it. so mad at myself hearing that original episode. I'm like, you don't mean that. But, you know, <laughs> the danger of airing these things out of order, I guess. So that's what uh, that's what appealed to you about Creepshow, though, it was the anthology format. Well, about Creepshow and about Cat's Eye, it, w- it was this notion that if you didn't like the last story, you'll like the next one. And it gave me, you know, as as a sort of baby horror viewer, gave me, just like the short story books did, the chance to sort of uh, dabble a little bit in a bunch of different styles or a bunch of different tales. You know, speaking of creep show, you have a revenge tale and you, well, you have a couple of revenge tales, I guess. And you have a, a creepy crawly tale and you have a, a thing from outer space that, you know, messes everything up and you have a thing that lives in a crate under the stairs. Like you, yeah. you get to sort of sample different things. Cat's eyes slightly more narrow just by virtue, I suppose, of it being only three stories, but it's still, I mean, two out of those three stories, in my opinion, totally hold up are great. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was just good storytelling. Uh, one of them is uh, I hate it, but we'll get there. <laughs> Ooh. Fun to find out which is which. Like you, I watched Cat's Eye a million times because it was one of those perennial cable movies. It was always on cable. Yeah. And I, I, I must have seen it oh, dozens yeah. and dozens and dozens of times over a summer. With it being an anthology thing, you catch it at the right moment. You, uh, you know, you're in almost for a, a whole a brand new self-contained story, right? So, mm-hmm. so uh, you know, I watched little bits and pieces of that that movie over and over again as a kid. 
Yeah, this was one of the ones that was like on HBO all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eric, do you want to tell us about the stories that do you want? How do you want to do this? You want to go through each yeah. one? Um, yeah, no, we, uh, I'll do like a, a real quick, like roundup of, of what the stories are. And then maybe we, we hit them, you know, one at a time and discuss that. Yeah, sound right good? On. yeah, sure. All right. Two of the three stories in here come from night shift. And the third one was written, uh, brand new for the screen by Stephen King quitters Inc. Uh, is the first story that's, uh, James Woods trying to stop smoking, <laughs> one that was uh first published in night shift the second story is the ledge which is uh a tennis coach who's having an affair with the mob boss's wife gets caught and is forced to walk around uh, the top floor of the penthouse building you know on the ledge by the mobster and that was first published as a penthouse story in 1976 and then republished in uh night shift um and it that that whole thing has a very men's magazine feel to it oh yeah too just the way it's written and, you know, even the adaptation does. And then the third one is general, which is the, the one that most people probably think about when they think about cat's eye. It's the, the cat trying to protect the little girl from the troll that lives in her wall. Well, when you, As sound, you do. say it like that, it sounds silly. <laughs> uh, the troll designed by Carlo Rambaldi, by the way, who, who is uh, the guy who made E.T. So that's why yeah. the troll looks pretty badass. He worked on aliens too, right? Uh, he worked on lots of things. He was the go-to guy for like animatronics for a hot second in the in the eighties. The Cat's Eye movie began life because this is a Dino De Laurentiis production, one of the many mm-hmm. Dino uh, Stephen King ventures. They had just made Firestarter, and Dino was super duper head over heels for Drew Barrymore. He thought she was going to be the next big star. Like she, she was. He was convinced she was going to be a, a giant A list star, and he wanted to make another movie with her after Firestarter. So he approached Stephen King and said, hey, what do you have that we can do another Drew Barrymore thing with? And that's how King came up with the idea of doing an anthology. And so he was like, this is how we're going to do this. We're going to make, you know, Drew Barrymore and and the cat, the connecting tissues between all these stories. I don't see the through line in that thought process, but I imagine there was, this was the... (laughs) What year was this? I, this is 85? This is, yeah, 85. It's right in the heyday of uh, lots of weird decisions on the part of <laughs> at least Stephen King and maybe some others. Yeah. He must have been busy and just said, well, you know what? I can I can throw you a a 25-page original <laughs> script and I'll just readapt you, these two other stories. It sounds, it throw, sounds like a, it. a cocaine-y kind of deal. Like, what, what else have you got for <laughs> me that I can put yeah. Drew Barrymore in? And he's like, well... There's a, it's a three part thing and it's got a cat that runs through it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably how this, uh, how we got there. I think it's interesting though, that he, um, it's three parts, as you pointed out, two of them are based on stories. And then he went with an original for the third. And I think it's pretty ballsy that he wrote what on the page must have read like, holy shit, this is going to cost a lot of money, you know, to have the cat battling the little, the little troll. And like, how do you even achieve that effect? And, you know, if I'm reading that script as as Dino, I'm like, God damn it. You just added like five million dollars to this thing. So it's kind of ballsy of him to have to have right. done that. And curious that he wouldn't have just done three already published stories. But I guess if he wants to get that cat storyline in there, he's got to get it. Uh, so we should probably start with the prologue and then then move into the, the first story. Does that sound good? Yeah. The prologue is really interesting there's two two things to talk about here. One is the prologue that we didn't get, and then there's the prologue that exists in the movie. The original uh, opening of the movie was General failing to save 
a little girl from the troll in the same neighborhood that Drew Barrymore is in. That was the original prologue was, was that the the mom and dad come in and, and their, their daughter is, is dead in bed and the cat's cuddling with her and you know, whatever, but the cat's there and the mom blames the cat for stealing her daughter's breath. And, and, uh, weirdly enough the thought process was well what would a grieving mom do i guess she would run downstairs and get an automatic weapon that they had in the house and chase the cat (laughs) around the house shooting holes into everything like i guess in a tom and jerry style (laughs) thing um while the dad's grieving his the dead daughter upstairs that was the original opening which they cut because believe it or not it came across too comically and they didn't think that that was going to work in the movie wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute did they shoot that they did, yes. Oh my god! She was running around that. the house with an automatic. That's what Lewis Teague said. I listened to his commentary track on this, and he <laughs> he, he, he didn't say a gun. He said an automatic weapon. So wow, what a cool idea! I mean, <laughs> it's very. It, but then again, you know what an attention-grabbing way to open a film. You know, right. I'm definitely not going to stop paying attention after the first five minutes if if that's what's going on. Well, it's more it would have been more attention grabbing in a positive way than the current opening, which is this <laughs> odd melange of Stephen King references. Yep. It's yeah. so fucking weird to rewatch yeah. how many Stephen King references are jammed into this thing and not even just in the prologue. In Quitters Inc., in general, there are yeah. references just jammed in there. It's so weird. And the ledge, very- there's there's something everywhere. Yeah. But it's also oddly prescient since King has become so known for his interconnected universes. It's almost weird looking back at this as one of the early examples of somebody understanding that part of the charm of King is that everything is connected in some way. Louis Teague, uh, the director of this, also made Cujo. And so it is bizarre having literal Cujo show up at the beginning of this By thing the way, to chase the I cat. Look- they, they even douse him in the same like shampoo and conditioner, you know, thing to make him all matty and gross. I looked uh, to see did. if it was the same Cujo. I was hoping the dog would be listed. And I know there are like 15 dogs that they used in Cujo, but. Uh, it was the same animal wrangler, so I it, I do have to believe that it, maybe this was a Cujo. I can confirm it was one of the oh, dogs oh, used in Cujo. Delightful oh, shit! You know what that whole opening reminded me of was? Um, there's a very similar scene in the Dark Tower movie where, like, some lady is like walking Cujo up a street, and don't you see like there's another Easter egg like right after that or right before it? It's it, it's not Christine, is it? Like in traffic? You do see a, a Plymouth Fury, yes. I think it's a, a toy car, if I remember right. Oh, but. that's right. Like the little kids playing with it. Anyway, didn't like it then, don't like it now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Christine, you know, almost runs over the cat and, and Cujo. With a bumper and, sticker yeah, that says, I am oh. Christine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> in I mean, case it was lost on you. Here, yes. you we want to get that in there. <laughs> Then General jumps on a with like a tobacco truck, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, ends up in uh, New York, and that's where Quitters Inc. starts. Yeah, but by the way, uh, he's not captured off of the tobacco truck. This was something that I noticed this round too. He get, he rides the tobacco truck to quote unquote New York City, super not New York City, but rides the the tobacco truck to New York City, and then leaves the tobacco truck and walks a few blocks away. And that's where he's caught just randomly on the street. It feels, I suppose maybe that 
was part of the reshoot of the opening that he ended up on the tobacco truck. Maybe I'm just trying, I was trying to put together why he rides a tobacco truck to New York. And then that has nothing to do with why he ends up in this cigarette story. Uh, well, it, it makes it makes so much more sense when you realize that the movie originally started off in the same neighborhood it ends up yes. at. So you have to get him out of that, out of Wilmington, North Carolina, and into the quote unquote the city to <laughs> to get him away from so <laughs> from everything. Convoluted. <laughs> yeah, it is, um, and it doesn't really make as much sense without that prologue. And I mean, l- listen, the prologue sounds like they they fucked it up. The original one. Um, but I do love the idea of it starting with the cat failing to protect a girl. And suddenly gives the cat motivation and the reason why he's seeing all these <laughs> phantom Drew Barrymore's everywhere saying, you know, that it's coming for her now and need, need she needs help. Uh, this cat's like, uh, I cannot go home and look my wife in the eye <laughs> right? until I save another kid. You know, I fucked all, up on the last job. Barrymore. You know, how am I supposed to tell my boss about this? Yeah. <laughs> All played by Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore is every little girl in this movie, and she was an extra little girl that was cut out of the original prologue. She's even a mannequin that comes to life in that little 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 opening. Thing. Well, she doesn't come to life, but her like essence or whatever is coming off of the mannequin, and that's when the cat gets captured by the uh, the so goon. Weird. The goon who apparently is uh, Sylvester Stallone's personal bodyguard, by the way, in real life. Oh wow! What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. And then he turns around and goes into the building. I don't want to go through this fucking thing frame by frame, but there's a lot going on in this movie. Did you catch like the breakdancing team? It's like out in yep. front of the building. Because yeah, that, that's what New York is, right? If you're trying to right. turn a, a random street in Wilmington, North Carolina into New York, uh, you need a breakdancing group. That's right. That's right. Let's get me. Let's get this whole area filled and uh, let's get one of the crews from. Uh, breaking two in here to <laughs> sort of set the scene, folks. This is New York. It's kind of like in uh, Jason Takes Manhattan. Whenever they they do all the scenes that that aren't in New York, they're shooting in Toronto or whatever. Oh yeah, doubling for New York. They just put some punks and some break dancers holding a, a boombox in there. That's what New York is. So the the first segment, Quitters Inc., stars James Woods. James Woods. Uh, I was a big fan of James Woods when I was growing up. Mm. He's in a lot of movies yeah. that I, I really like. I think he's a phenomenal actor. Unfortunately, uh, now my opinion of James Woods is sort of tainted by uh, the person that James Woods has become over the last couple of true uh, decades. So I don't know, kind of bittersweet to to revisit this one because um, I like his performance in it. I like him as a performer still, you know, but it's one of those uh, separate the art from the uh, screaming on Twitter things you know, or the artist. It's a toughie, but he is, he is legitimately like I, I, for the first time I had never seen Videodrome until pretty recently. Mm. And I watching a movie for the first time starring James Woods, I had a lot more trouble separating those two things. Whereas watching Cat's Eye again, it's so deep. It's hitting other buttons in my brain that skip all the rantings and ravings on Twitter. I, I still, th- he's just, he's really, you know, what am I going to say? I, I don't want to uh, hang out with him, but he's fucking great in this movie. Like he's just, yeah, for sure. it's his, I've his seen... sort of tension that he plays his sort of, uh, you know, he, he's just, he's great. 
he's got great comedic timing too. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I've started seeing a lot of my lefty friends and, you know, I'm, I'm very much a progressive and count myself as progressive. Uh, so I get it, but I've seen a lot of my, my left leaning friends trying to erase woods as he was never good. And I'm like, Oh no, listen, no. you can, you can hold up his Twitter rants and his racist xenophobic stuff that he's been doing and all the creepy you know, stories of him hitting on like 16 year old actresses, like all this stuff, you can definitely hold him accountable for that. But, you know, come on, man, you know, the onion field and Videodrome and Salvador and once upon a time in America uh, and this movie. And I, I'll go to bat for him and John Carpenter's vampires as well. Like th- that movie's a mess, but he is great in it. And, and he's really good at hitting that kind of serious slash funny tone like he can jump back and forth there and he, he says, really utilizes uh, this in this movie he says they'll take a walk right up your strata chocolata in uh, <laughs> Carpenter's vampires man i only saw vampires once i saw that once uh in the theater i was on acid and the only thing i remember about it is that they played the trailer for gus van sant's psycho remake beforehand oh no it's that that really weird one where it's just sort of like random images popping on screen and like Vince Vaughn sort of staring out of the screen at you. And it fucked me up. Uh, I don't remember anything about vampires, but, uh, but I do remember that. I've gotten the impression though, like in what I do vaguely seriously remember about vampires, like I don't think I, I don't think it would hold up a lot of the later Carpenter stuff didn't doesn't really hold up. For it me. Uh, it was one of the five DVDs that came free with my first DVD player, so I, <laughs> I did it did get a lot of play at my college dorm room. Do you remember the other ones? Like I remember when I bought mine, the mask came with it. Oh, uh, the mask the was there. What were the other one? Matrix, maybe Terminator one or two. I don't remember. And then um, right. I mean, it, it was funny because there'd always be one really big title and then the rest were just shit uh i don't remember the others off the top of my head but i know that one was one of them and, and i'm 100 percent sure that it was in that that cardboard case that had the little snap oh yeah plastic snapper definitely before they actually figured out what uh dvd and blu-ray cases should look like so james woods goes to this office he's he's there to cure himself of smoking uh james woods was a smoker when they when they made this and I feel like in between his his smoking and whatever other predilections James Woods may have had at that time, I think that he understands how to play like sort of and and Rich touched on this a moment ago, sort of the the strain of being addicted to a thing. He plays that really well. The the catch here is that he signed up for this business. He doesn't seem to know much about it. He just walks in and sort of signs the papers and then learns that they're going to put his wife in a room and shock her with like a a shocking floor thing if he has another cigarette. And then if he, if he does it again, then they're going to bring his daughter in there and you're like, okay, fucking I I see. This is like a natural progression. And then you find out later, like it through like a flashback, Alan King tells James Woods, like, and if it happens a third time, we're going to sexually assault your wife. Fourth time we kill you. Like, it seems like to me, that's a way bigger progression. Like the first two are, pretty bad but they're not like you know capital crimes and then it suddenly skyrockets <laughs> yeah, and well, watching watching well, it again kidnapping right is that actually a flashback or is that him like imagining the worst do you think because watching it again i was thinking like you could you could maybe see that either way oh really uh, no i th- i 100 percent, even on the rewatch believe that's what 
the guy told her. first off one thing i didn't catch as a kid because kids are stupid is that that this is also a mafia tale they yeah yeah they allude to the he says you know the guy in the wall you know but and in the in the short story they talk about this too that it, that that guy died of lung cancer and basically his entire family capital f family decided to make this their calling and that 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 they basically break even but that it's fun to do to enforce people quitting smoking but i they use the word by the way rape and uh, that that hits real heavy and like i was I, on the rewatch i was like jesus that's fucking awful like well, the way it's sort of tossed out there, I think, is yeah. really indicative of the level of sensitivity and just any women's rights shit from from that period. Here, it's used as a as a, a cudgel in dialogue, where like I, you would never see that happen now. I don't think not in a PG thirteen no. sort of goofy. No, like it's horror not even film. in the story. By the way, he doesn't say rape in the story. He doesn't even, barely even intimate sexual assault it's the the progression is different in the short story i can't remember exactly how it goes but it's that's there, not part there's of way it. more steps it's more complicated in the short in the short there's like a 10 step thing and the 10th step is is uh he pulls out a gun and says you know this is the 10th step essentially right. that if we can't cure you well in one way or another you're never going to smoke again so yeah, we only he says we only have a two percent failure rate which means one out of 50 people are murdered by them <laughs> when they can't stop smoking but it works. Okay, so in this segment, we have two more Stephen King nods I want to point out. One, the school that Drew Barrymore, who plays James Woods' daughter in the segment, is called St. Stephen's. So that is obviously a St. Stephen King uh, <laughs> reference. Wow, and the wow. other is is he, he's watching, he watches some of The Dead Zone. James Woods watches The Dead Zone on TV. And he says, who writes this crap? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, can uh, I? So, since you mentioned Drew Barrymore's school, yes, uh, this is another thing that I think is particularly dated. It's a little bit tough, obviously. in In the story, it, hmm, this is a he has a son. He and, has a son who the, who lives elsewhere because he needs care. Basically, he's a special needs kid, right? Yeah, and they they effectively try to cram that into this telling as well because i don't think the daughter lives with their parents i mean you never see her at home uh you you know she uh, apparently lives in this boarding school and is i believe they're trying to intimate that she has special needs as well but it's a it's a tough it's a tough sell that that little girl doesn't live at home i don't know i thought that was a big whiff that part just the the whole concept of you know in the story it it's very explicitly downs and his son has downs you, of course being the 80s they never use that word they use the r word instead yeah that that's something that even even in the mid 80s making this movie they I, I don't understand why they they tried to have that it makes no difference it's really a really unnecessary detail like yeah. right. it's it's unpleasant what happens to the daughter one way or another it seems yeah. that seems like a you're you're gilding the lily on that one. Yep. Anyway, so the way the way this one resolves itself after, you know, of course he fucks up and of course the wife gets shocked, but then he he gets on the straight and narrow about it. Uh the wife immediately forgives him after being shocked in Alan King's little <laughs> in a little shock chamber, which I found very hard to believe. Um and then the way it resolves itself is that uh he's now on like a weight loss plan 
or he's like trying to keep his weight down as a result of quitting smoking. And Alan King says to him on his way out, he's like, yeah, don't don't gain too much weight or, you know, we'll cut your wife's little finger off. And then James Woods goes home and there's like a dinner party scene and he he calls a toast and it's him, his wife and another couple. And the woman in the other couple raises her wine glass and she's missing a finger. And there's like a look of shock on James Woods's face. And I'm thinking, bro, they kidnapped your wife and put her in the fucking shock chamber. Like, why would you be surprised by this now? Like, and think that like he's joking around about the pinky thing. Like, that's what's happening in that moment. Correct. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the couple that they have over, the guy is the one that suggested Quitters, Inc. in the beginning of the segment. So yeah, that drives them there in the beginning. Yeah, they've been they've been through the whole program. I think it's just because, you know, when that when that thing gets mentioned, you know, uh, they say, you know, a lot of people when they quit smoking, they gain weight and James Woods is getting weighed and he's buttoning up his shirt. And, and the guy's like, now, don't uh, we're going to put your weight limit at whatever it is, 180, whatever. And he says, oh, what happens if I go over? You're going to you're going to come and, uh, you know, kill me. And he, uh, Alan King laughs. He's like, no, 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 we'll just cut your wife's pinky off. <laughs> oh, good one. OK, bye. And uh-huh. then it turns out it was legit. Yeah, I think it's pretty effective. I, I like how it's played, especially if you watch the uh, the wife of the other couple as they're toasting because they're toasting to Quitters Inc. for actually working. And whenever they they make the toast, you can see the look on on the other guy's wife's face yeah. like drop and and then she holds up her glass and she's missing her pinky. I don't know. I like it. It's it's a little very tales from the crypty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not there, crazy about the ending, but I'll take it. Oh, I do. So, I, was this the one that you liked, or this is the one? No, that this you is didn't this like? is one of the two that I liked very much, um, and I, I totally think it holds up. And I I do think we shouldn't miss the opportunity here to mention the music in this movie, because <laughs> there right. there are all of these these stings and everything. I mean, this the music in this movie is very bad. It's yeah. very very bad. I agree. It's early Alan Silvestri, is it not? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Predator, Back to the Future. And it's so it's so like it feels like the wrong tone for this movie. Um, it sounds like he made a creep show score and this is not the same tone as creep show. So it is there were multiple times while rewatching this where it sort of like pulled me right out of the movie where I was like, what the fuck was that noise? Yeah, I wrote down. I, I also took notes my on my rewatch and I wrote down the music in this movie sucks about six times. Like it just <laughs> is a bummer. <laughs> Rich, do you want to describe to us the, the second tale, the ledge? Yes, absolutely. So we go from there. We now the kitty cat is our through line. Obviously uh, mm-hmm. we now uh, cut to a casino where we, we see that uh, there's a, a big high roller, clearly a guy who likes to kind of swing his money around. He's paying people, tipping people, uh, slapping people on the cheeks. And he goes out to the street, and they see a cat that's working its way across the street. And they, they make a wager on whether the cat's going to survive. It becomes clear that this guy, uh, Kressler, I think his name is, is, yeah. is willing to bet on anything. Basically, the, the gist with the story is we find out that... Kressler's wife has been cheating on him with, uh, oh shit, what's his name? The who plays Robert Hayes. Robert Hayes, thank you, who plays from the, Airplane, yeah, the tennis pro. And he's decided to get a little um, payback for the fact that his this guy has taken his wife. So he 
lures this guy to his apartment and lure, by luring, I mean, he effectively kidnaps him. He knocks him out as he's, <laughs> you're, you're going to regret asking me to describe something, but I'm going to try it anyway. Uh, Robert Hayes and, and Kressler's wife were going to run away together. They basically secretly get her onto a bus out of town. That's their goal. As he's leaving the bus stop or bus station, he's kidnapped and brought up to Kressler's apartment. In the apartment, Kressler says, listen, I know you've been fucking my wife. This is not okay with me. I don't like having things taken from me. So we're going to make a little wager here. I'm going to give you this 20,000 or is it 20,000 in the movie? In the the book, it's 20,000 bucks. It doesn't matter. Right. I'm going to give you this bag of money, basically. Uh, And the guy says, well, I don't, you know, you're not going to get me to go away with a bag of money. He says, no, 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 no. No, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get this money and you're going to get my wife. All you have to do is walk around my building. He lives in the penthouse. He's very high up on the building. Walk around the ledge of the building and uh, and you get to have all this stuff. Oh, by the way, uh, I've I've hidden some drugs in your trunk. So you really have no option here. You're either going to say yes to this and take your life into your own hands, or you can leave here and be arrested and go to prison forever. And in the book, it's made clear he has a past. He was incarcerated before, so the, the stakes are very high for him. And so he has to uh, basically take him up on this wager. There's really no choice. It's clear that that he's going to be screwed either way. So he it's, uh, go ahead, please. Well, I just want to point out that it's kind of it's kind of funny that like for all the setting up that went on to establish that this guy will bet on anything. This isn't really a bet. He's just making the guy do it. <laughs> like, yeah, you don't yeah. you don't really need all that shit with the you know, oh, this is a guy that lives to even says it explicitly like that's what it's all about. Like just betting on shit. He doesn't bet him that he can do it. You know, he's like, you know, once he starts talking about planting drugs in the guy's car, the whole concept of it being a bet goes out the window. And now it's just either do this or I'm framing you and sending you to prison. Yeah, it's basically like a, a like a blackmail type thing. It's yeah, uh, you, you yeah. have to do this uh, or you're totally fucked. So that's that's the bet. Right. <laughs> cool bet. So then the guy is forced to do this. He climbs out on the ledge. It's a very narrow ledge, barely uh, wide enough to hold his feet on it. Uh, So it might be a little tough for balance and begins to work his way around the building. And as he's making his way around the building, he has to contend both with uh, nature, uh, gravity and wind and cold. But he also and pigeons. Oh, fuck that pigeon shit. A pigeon comes and uh, nips at his ankle while he's trying to go around and uh, the description in the short story is great because he talks about basically how pigeons won't, they give no quarter anyway. Um, But (laughs) here he's on the pigeons turf. So the pigeon is like, get the fuck off my ledge and does not care (laughs) that he sort of kicks at it. Does not care that, you know, Uh what, what he does, the pigeon nips away until he has broken the skin and there's blood. It's a very unsettling moment Uh, yeah i i hate that part um but in addition to having to deal with the nature of things he has to deal with with kressler who is also trying to basically scare him as he's going around he runs from window to window honking horns at him or spraying him with a hose uh he's uh he's not a good guy this kressler (laughs) i want to know why kressler has a giant clown horn just chilling in his in his fucking penthouse it seems like an odd you guys don't have room to have (laughs) No, no. And no, also, everybody had one. While we, while I was watching this this morning, 
And I had to rewatch it again this morning because I, I tried to watch it the other night and couldn't get through it. I'm looking at Kressler and I was like, how do I fucking know this guy? Like, he looks so familiar. It's it's Baron Harkonnen from David Lynch's Dune. Everybody, yep. welcome Baron Harkonnen. Kenneth McMillan. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I I had never put those two things together. Not until just now. Like this, Well, this, this is viewing. one of the last movies he made, Cat's Eye. He died only a few years after yeah. this, I saw. Yeah. So suffice it to say, our our guy, Robert Hayes, makes it around the building, comes inside, and uh, is met with uh, some sort of unfortunate news that Kretzler <laughs> is going to hold up his end of the bargain. He's going to give him the money, and he's also going to give him his wife, as he said he would. And when he says, my wife, he kicks over the bag with the money and outrolls her head. So he... Stuck to the letter of his "quote unquote" wager, but he <laughs> find the to, lie, not to the spirit. Where's the lie? He didn't stick Classic to the spirit. Wrestler, that's right. <laughs> well, as Eric pointed out earlier, this was a men's magazine story, and I feel like there's, it's definitely got the men's magazine story feel, right down to the detail of the guy being a tennis pro. Something about that strikes me <laughs> as a detail that is exactly the sort of thing you would read in the fiction pages of an '80s porn mag or or late '70s a tennis pro. What the fuck? <laughs> These Tales from the Crypt style stories, you can kind of plug and play various elements of them mm-hmm. and change them around, but they're always going to have that same kind of twist to them. Come up and at the end. The tennis pro angle is actually in the in the story there for a reason because there's it's the reason why he can navigate the ledge. His heel is hanging over the ledge the whole time. It's not right. wide enough for his whole foot. And, and so he has to have strong ankles, which I guess tennis pros do. <laughs> so I don't know. Like th- that seemed to be the, the weird reason why he had to be a tennis pro. And then of course, when you make the movie, the first person I think of when I think of a tennis pro is uh, the guy Robert from airplane. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, this is the era of Andre Agassi, is it not? So yeah, it's like yeah. maybe that was a little miscast. It, you're right, though. Uh, it is such a it is such a men's magazine thing like, that every dude, every '80s dude reading that was like, "Yep, strong ankles." Got the they all played tennis. Yeah. Oh, and at the end of the story, when he comes in, it even says again, you know, because out on the ledge he was using his feet so much, he had saved all the strength in his arms and hands. This is not a direct quote. <laughs> Stephen King's a lot better at this than I am, but. Um, <laughs> That he uses that saved up strength to to lash out, and that's how he turns the tables on the guy. Uh, it's all it's it's a little bit uh, <laughs> it's a little bit much, it, right? And in the movie, it's 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 the cat that trips up the the henchman that's with right. the gun. That's right, uh, and escapes. And uh, what I do like that the that the movie version does that the novella or the short story does not is it brings back the asshole pigeon, and that is the reason why. <laughs> Uh, Kressner falls to his death <laughs> is because the asshole pigeon comes back and starts pecking at his yeah his ankle. And yeah, he's no he's no tennis out. player. He can't hold up to that sort of sort of torture. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have the ankles so, for it. Yeah, it's asshole pigeons. Which brings us to the the third tale. Eric, do you want to describe this one? This is the one that I remembered the most, and I think what most people who think back on the movie probably associate with the movie more than anything. And this is the story of. The little girl played by Drew Barrymore, who really loves this stray cat that comes in. The cat uh, is there to protect her from from this troll that lives in her wall and is trying to steal her breath. It's pretty much that is the entire story is the cat trying to always figure out a way inside 
the house every night to protect the girl from the troll. And the mom doesn't trust the cat, doesn't like the cat, blames the cat for killing Drew Barrymore's bird, like all this stuff. And something that I noticed on this rewatch, because as a kid, you know, when you were a kid watching these movies where nobody believes the kid, like Invaders from Mars or whatever, you watch these things and you go, fuck the adults. They're dumb, stupid. Just listen to kids. We're, we're telling the truth. And so I always hated Candy Clark, who played the mom in this, because she's the one that's always blaming everything on the cat, not listening to to her daughter. Something I noticed on this rewatch is the Stephen King nod that they throw into this one. The mom is in bed reading Pet Cemetery. Well, wait a minute. Maybe that's why she doesn't trust the cat is because she's reading Pet Cemetery, which has an asshole, evil, undead cat in it. So maybe maybe there's a... Uh, that certainly makes more sense than uh, some of the other illusions which reminds me what was the illusion in the ledge you guys said that there was one in the ledge i think i missed it when the, whenever the cat's running across the street the casino on the other side of the street is king's casino oh brother okay thank you <laughs> right <laughs> i didn't catch it when i was watching it but i read after the fact that also the the issue of penthouse that the ledge originally appeared in also shows up in like on a nightstand or something in Chrysler's. Well, there's that that great little moment where Kressler has a gun pointed at him by whatever Robert Hayes' character's name is, and he lazily flips through a uh, Norris. Yeah, while he lazily flips through a a penthouse magazine. Oh, then that's uh, probably it on the ground, and he sort of flip. I'm like, what? What are you doing? You have a gun (laughs) pointed at you. But I I guess it helps to know that that's the penthouse. I guess. (laughs) Yeah, he he wants to read the tennis pro story. So back to the general. You know, that's pretty much what happens. It ends with a, a showdown between the cat and the troll. And as we mentioned before, the troll, I think, is a very striking design. I really I, I loved it when I was a kid. And I, I still like I remember little bits and pieces from this movie that like stuck with me from from my childhood viewings. And like one of them is is like the close up of Robert Hayes's ankle, like the sock being like seeped with blood from whenever oh. the the pigeon. pigeon pecked at it. And the other one was weirdly enough, one of the parents finding one of the tiny jingle bells that are hanging off of the troll's costume, like amongst <laughs> marbles. And for whatever reason, yeah, you know, I'm sure you have that when you watch a movie now that you watched obsessively when you were a kid, there will be like single shots or a music cue or something that'll instantly take you back to watching that movie when you were a kid. And that's, those are two of the the things that, uh, totally, that totally. In fact, I had a similar thing, only it's with his little wavy knife. Right. Yeah. I love that little that little wavy knife. It looks like the kind of knife that would come with like a Ninja Turtle or a He-Man, you know, thing. So you, it, it would fit in amongst a bunch of kids' toy stuff. I think one of the Ninja Turtles had a little wavy knife. Like that. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I, I think have, so, too. So this is my thing about this general, the, the third story. This is the one that I just can hardly stand. Interesting. And it's, it's not because of the effects. The effects are actually really good. Like mm-hmm. the troll costume, the puppetry, the effects of cl- clearly, uh, you know, switching between, uh, you know, like a honey, I shrunk the kids style giant room, uh, right. for the troll, troll human to run through, uh, versus, uh, the, the stuff where they're doing like a puppet size thing. That's all really good. What I hate, I hate the gardeners who are right beyond this wall i hate them i'm, I'm not sure if you can <laughs> hear, them, hear them but i can okay great um what i hate is the voice of the troll for me <laughs> and, I, and i think it's voiced by frank welker who's one of the most 
prolific voice artists out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, His name is in the credits as like special vocal effects. They don't directly say he's the troll, but I think he is. But I hate, hate when the troll says stuff like, yeah, meow. He like meows at the cat <laughs> and he he does this little <laughs> this yeah. sort of like breathing thing. If that was treated just a degree more seriously, I think I would like this segment. I guess I don't mind when the troll flips off the cat. That's kind of funny. <laughs> um, but the rest, uh, I, I, it has that like, <laughs> like that weird little, ah, I just, I hate the voice of the troll but, enough that I hate this segment the most but is that not how a little troll would sound like how are how how do you suggest the trolls should sound in this segment look it's a fair point you're making i don't know that i can give you a satisfactory answer i just know that i hate how this troll sounds whether it's correct or not uh, it's really beside the point i hate how it sounds like it would be weird if it had a deep voice or an outrageous well, French su- accent or something. I mean, it, obviously, it's voiced by the guy from the Four Tops that voiced Audrey too. <laughs> right. uh, I'm not suggesting that. Or I James Earl saying, Jones. James Earl Jones. <laughs> that's right. Mm, we brought in yeah. Tom Waits to to voice right. the the troll. I guess uh, you're correct, and it's perfect, and it's the best segment in the movie. Never mind. Hundred <laughs> percent. I hear you. I, I respect you. I love the segment. The, the, to me, this is the. This is the most entertaining of of all three. This is the one that feels the most like eighties poltergeisty sure. thing to me. Right, right. So like I, I don't. The, the other two are are, are totally fine, but th- this is the one that I look forward to, and I think there's a reason why they end it with with this one because it's the I, most exciting I, one. I literally wrote in my notes at the very. I said this segment is already too long, and it just started. That's how I feel about the <laughs> troll segment. It's I, I get I totally get what you're saying, and I suppose if that's, I mean it it is tonally, uh, it's an abrupt left turn. I think from the first two stories. That's and fair. I, I dig those stories so much. Now that said, uh, you know, again, not to to beat a dead horse, but you bring up Creep Show, and like the Jordy Verrill segment, the the one that is that one hander from Stephen King, uh, mm-hmm. is tonally entirely different from the rest of the movie but i love it so it's i can't entirely blame that i just i don't know there's also like the end the very end of the movie is that weird slow-mo where where you wonder is the cat gonna steal her breath too and then drew barrymore wakes up and she goes hi in this terrible (laughs) slow and i i hate that i really just (laughs) as far as i'm concerned the movie ends after the ledge but but I understand what you're saying. And, and again, the creature work on the troll, I don't think anyone can dispute, is outstanding. I think I love the creature work on the troll so much that it it carries the whole thing for me. Mm. I have little complaints about that segment, but they all pale in comparison to how cool that design is and how well executed it is. And the and the fact that it's that it holds up like 30 some odd years later, you know, that's 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 pretty incredible. I, I really like that little troll, how he looks. Well, and it's on such a limited budget. I mean, I I was listening to the commentary that Louis Teague did for the movie, and he pointed out, like on the ledge sequence, they essentially had to save all their budget for the final, <laughs> for the general thing, for mm-hmm. all the special effects. Uh, and so on the ledge one, there is almost no rear screen projection. It's all hanging miniatures. So uh, everything on the no street below, like it's all hanging miniatures, like shot in uh, 
I guess, kind of like a matte painting, you know, to where they, they look like they're in scale. Yeah. I was wondering so, how they did that. Yeah, I don't know. I, may, maybe it is just my love of 80s visual effects and, you know, how it's played that, that I really will always adore that that sequence. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past uh, my, me to be kind of blinded by those nostalgia glasses, but oh, it's, but, it's uh, also still possible to this day, that I'm really like it. It's also possible that I'm way off base here. I mean, I, I, to allow myself to absolutely dismiss this third segment because of how much I truly hate the sound of patrol <laughs> yeah. uh, is perhaps slightly unfair, but I, it cannot be overstated how much I hate the sound of the troll. Uh, all of that being said, again, the visual effects of this one are re- like all the way up to when the troll ends up, you know, it meets its demise in this uh, fan, this box fan. Right. And <laughs> that that part is great. It's it's pretty intense for like, uh, again, what is ostensibly a, it ends up being sort of a horror movie, at least available to kids. I don't know that it was made for kids when there's a story about quitting smoking and a story about <laughs> right. adultery where the woman's head gets cut, cut off. It's not necessarily made for kids, but was definitely available to kids. Yeah. And that ending is pretty, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty intense. Worth pointing out that this was the the point where they were sort of still exploring the boundaries of the PG-13 rating. Oh, it was brand yeah. new. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what it was like it, uh, Temple of Doom is what did it, right? Right. And then, you know, so yeah, this would have been... the combo of Temple of Doom and Gremlins that uh, that made... And the, like, literally the month after Temple of Doom came out, the PG-13 who became a real rate, became a rating. Poltergeist yeah. is a PG movie where someone peels off their face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it took them a few years to work out the kinks, you know. That's right. <laughs> but uh, they, they eventually got there. I wish... I, I, I've said this on the show before, but I'm going to say it again because... You know, this, I don't know when the next time we're going to get to talk about a King anthology thing, but I wish they were making more King anthology movies. And they did, you know, an anthology series for, what was it, TNT some years yeah, ago for Nightmares and Dreamscapes, Dreamscapes which yeah. is just, you know, you talk about unfortunate. That's that's mm-hmm. mostly swings and misses. It was but, a bummer, too, because my favorite story from Night Shift is Battleground, and mm-hmm. they did an episode of Nightmares and Dreamscapes, and I was so excited for that episode oh you didn't and like was, battleground i lo- i didn't love this i don't know it i think you thing. just don't like stories where there's little creatures i think you might be <laughs> right i think you're prejudiced against <laughs> little in, creatures coming at i at, fully uh, allow it it's very possible yeah the, the big are you okay and... with gremlins oh gremlins is garbage i'm just kidding gremlins is amazing <laughs> yeah. of course like this uh, is maybe something and... to talk to a therapist about if if you didn't like gremlins but no i like that in battlegrounds is frank welker had to voice every one of the army men and you hated it (laughs) and and flips off uh, william hurt i do wish they they were doing more king anthology stuff ideally for me it's like i I love feature film uh anthology stuff um big fan of twilight zone the movie that sort of thing i'm i really respond to and i i wish they would just do do a skeleton crude movie and a and a night shift movie and blah 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 and you know more like this, please. I don't know why we can't get it. You know, as I said, I'm a, just a fan of the format. Once I realized it was a format unto itself, I was excited about it. He does have stories, by the way, before I go down this road, in Tales from the Dark Side, right? The movie? The, one of them. One uh, of them. Is okay. his, yeah. Um, but like there's this uh, there's a movie that's coming out on Shudder or, or by this time, by the time this this runs will have come out on Shudder called The Mortuary Collection, which I don't know if you guys have gotten to see it. Um but it is an anthology horror movie that feels 
a lot like these movies. And there's a, yeah. there's another one called Scare Package, uh, also on Shutter, that feels uh, tonally slightly different. It's more sort of slaps or splat sticky, I should say. But yeah. it, but it feels like these movies as well. But like you said, I, Stephen King has hundreds of really good short stories that are just begging to be adapted you know closely to how they were written like the lawnmower man i i guess i wouldn't mind seeing <laughs> the actual story adapted not just the words lawnmower and man um but i i just think there's a there's the source materials there and there are people now who definitely know what to do with it i would i would love to see like you said i'd love to see a night shift movie that just picks a few out of there or a, or a skeleton crew movie or a you know, uh, whatever the newer one, nightmares and dreamscapes or just, just pick a few of the stories and make a movie. Totally. Spend some money. Imagine Ryan Johnson doing the jaunt from skeleton crew. It's fucking money in the bank. Come on. Yep. It's bringing these directors, let them write and direct an adaptation of any story they want, put four of them together. Boom. You don't even need the framing bullshit. Just smush them together. Don't even need a cat. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, well, no cat cat. needed. You obviously have to have a cat, but 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 you're right. Otherwise, the example that we're looking at today with Cat's Eye, that is an anthology that has, even though the tone shifts from story to story, Lewis Teague directed all of them, mm-hmm. so it has kind of a cohesion to it. And in recent times, most anthologies are the opposite: the VHSs and um, ABCs of Death, and all that. The, the focus on there is hearing, seeing the different voices. Uh, with each story, which kind of leads to a more whiplashy feel of mm-hmm. uh, being, you know, torn from one kind of thing to another and a whole different vision. Uh, I'm not sure which works better. Do you guys have an opinion on that? Do you do you think it's better to have one cohesive voice for all the stories, or do you think that makes it too similar? I think I it mean, depends on the talent you're bringing to the table. Yeah. What I'm imagining, ballers only. You know, we're not going to have any scrubs in here doing doing fast <laughs> work. You know, so like my ideal version of this is like you would have skeleton crew with like bring Guillermo del Toro in and have him do one. Have like Ryan Johnson would be great. Edgar Wright, I would love to see do mm-hmm. something like this. Mm-hmm. Karen Kusama, I would like to see tackling King. I, I think tonally they would be different, but I think that naturally any anthology should have those peaks and valleys in terms of tone. Creep show, I I would argue is is tonally consistent. Across the board, even uh, I, I disagree with what Rich said earlier about um, Jordy Verrill not really fitting. I think it's all kind of you well, know comic booky. And I'm not suggesting but. it doesn't fit. Just to be clear, I, I it definitely fits, and it definitely is a story told in the same style. I guess I'm talking about if you look at like the way King is in that short, or the flashbacks that he has in that short. If you try and put him in the crate. That character, okay, or you put that character in uh, something to tide you over. You're gonna be like, "What in the fuck is happening?" That's that's, that's fair. Think, that's fair. You know, it's uh, it's that, that's bit, all I meant. It's the most cartoony of them. Then, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're we're in agreement on that. That was all Romero. There's your cohesive vision on that one. So sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And but I would like to say yeah. I've seen Scare Package and I really like that one. Um, yeah, and that one is some different directors, right? That's yeah. that's different directors sort of playing in the same. Uh, sandbox a little bit but then mortuary collection is is one director all the way through i i I don't know that i have one that i prefer over the other i just want the majority of the stories in it to sort of stick to the playbook whatever that playbook is that they designed i'll tell you i didn't really care for abc's of death 
No, I wasn't a giant fan either. Even though, you know, uh, there are many directors involved with both of those that I'm a big fan of. The experience of just watching like 26 little shorts back to back to back to back to back. Like fucking after a while, it's just punishing. And you're like, I I want I want this experience to be over. It's too much of a good thing. Part part of it is is budget because they were given five grand to make everyone was given five thousand dollars to make something. So everything looks some variation of cheap. Sure. The quality was less of a problem for me than just the experience of watching that many shorts back to back. Something about that does not sit well with my brain. I didn't. I'm with you. And, And I think that one of the criticisms of anthology movies is that just when you're starting to kind of get into the groove of a story, it ends. That's a shit ton of super short stories Mm -hmm. jammed together. Looking at, um, by the way, this is tangential, but uh, Trick or Treat, uh, the Michael Doherty Trick or Treat, the more more recent one, is an anthology movie, sort of, told Mm -hmm. differently, where the stories weave into and out of each other and you circle yeah. back to other stories. I also dug that. Like, I, I mean, it's, it's oh, sort yeah. of a, a format unique under that movie, but I really right. dug the way it, it told that story. Uh, and you still can kind of pick out, you know, the four or five individual stories that are in it, but it's, it's just told really interestingly. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Like, I, I feel like that that would be an ideal kind of framing for uh, a night shift or a skeleton crew mm-hmm. story where you have things that, that are set up in one story that pay off in another. So you have a little bit more of a cohesion and less of a segmented feel. That would yeah, be you know. So I guess to try to write yeah. that. Like, how would you, we'll be talking for another four hours if we fucking go down that <laughs> road, but like, it would be interesting to try to t- like find which four of them you would do and then figure out how they link. You know, that would be an interesting thought experiment. But it does play right to what you were talking about earlier with Cat's Eye, that that all of these stories can potentially have taken place in the same universe. Mm-hmm. And so there's room for that. I, I actually think that's a really cool idea, Eric, that, that notion of having four stories from the same book or whatever it is uh, that that do sort of flirt with each other. And Cat's Eye does it. Obviously, this is it's all tied together by this one cat. Creep shows is slightly different. They're all in the universe of having been featured in the same comic book. But I do like the idea, you know, that trick or treat style where all of these stories are happening basically in one neighborhood and somehow slightly affecting each other or at least responding to each other. Yeah. Um, I think that's a cool idea. I like that. Well, we cracked it, y'all. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Mike Doherty. <laughs> Thanks for cracking it so we could say we cracked it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We better uh, better lock in that trademark before we invite him back on the show. <laughs> then we'll spring the information on him. Well, this is usually the point in the show where we'd uh, ask our guests to plug whatever they're working on next. But everyone's also, you know, kind of on pause with work. Is there anything you want to uh, anything you want to plug? Hmm. <laughs> Not really. I I uh, let's see. I used to be on TV shows sometimes. Uh those are still out there. That's oh yes, you, you mentioned that you were going to announce the uh, the Mad Men movie. Uh, oh, that's right. Today, yes, which is this very is, exciting. Yeah. This is big news and exclusive uh, to this very moment. Actually, uh, but there's going to be a <laughs> Mad Men movie. Not everyone's going to be in it. In fact, I think it's going to be me. And we're shooting it all on my iPhone. Uh, but it's going <laughs> to be in your closet fun. while you're hiding from your gardeners. That's right. That's right. Harry Crane has not turned out well. 
<laughs> did we? Did anyone anticipate Harry Crane would turn out well? He's, Do you stay in touch with the Mad Men folks? Yeah, yeah. We we have had a long-standing text chain that obviously the activity on it ebbs and flows. We always get in touch around holiday times, and we've been in touch throughout this quarantine thing. And you know, we're always sort of toying with the idea of having some sort of a reunion, you know, finding the right cause to do it for. I, I think it's something that would happen at some point, but it's also something that, you know, we take sort of the legacy of that show pretty seriously. And I think sure. um, I am terrified of ever being accused of sort of cheapening it in any way, but, but I, I imagine we'll, we'll, we'll find something that, that moves us all. <laughs> I'm imagining a zoom thing where you're all in character to like, get out the boat and it's like Don Draper <laughs> lecturing people on getting out there to, to register. <laughs> Ooh, I can make a promise that we will probably never afe- appear in character ever again, but uh, we'll see who knows, you know? Yeah. Uh, unless there's a, uh, a troll with a wavy knife yep, and a goofy yep. voice, Frank Welker. It. That's the only way. Oh man. Uh, I, I'm in well, for Before that. we let you go, we mentioned earlier that you worked with Rob Reiner and you're, since you're a big Stephen King fan, did you talk at all with it? Because he is like next to Frank Darabont and Mike Flanagan, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like his Stephen King work is is up there with the greats. Like, yeah, yeah. I have to imagine if I worked with him, I would be asking nothing but misery and stand by me questions. Well, we definitely talked about we we did. I don't remember talking about misery. I know we talked about stand by me because I happened to you know I I brought up that I knew Will Wheaton um and had had done a, uh, I did a, a comedy pilot thing with Jerry O'Connell once. So I, you know, brought it, it, brought them up so that I had something to talk to him about. Basically. I, it was a total name drop. Right. And you, and, you also once bailed uh, Corey Feldman out of jail, right? <laughs> that's correct. That's correct. I, yeah. I didn't mention that one to him, but, um, <laughs> uh, but I, uh, you know, it did one, one great thing about Rob Reiner and this probably will surprise uh, zero people who have ever seen him in an interview, but he's generous with stories. And so it was, it was really kind of uh, excellent because he will hold he will hold court anytime, and if you get him going, he'll just let it rip. So he did tell a few stories about Stand by Me and you know working with the kids in particular, and that was that was very exciting. But I didn't I didn't chase it too much. I also wanted to talk to him about other things like improv and and things like that because he he was a part of early improv groups in the country, and so I you know I, I had a, a litany of things I wanted to talk to him about, but. Also, by the way, while while we're here, I, I'll tell you what I'm going to take an opportunity to do. I'm going to be absolutely shameless because I haven't worked in eight months. Mike Flanagan is currently maybe my favorite director. I just, everything he touches, I love it so much. So uh, <clears throat> anytime you want a sort of schlubby <laughs> middle-aged guy to audition for you, just to audition, and if handshakes are ever a thing again, to shake your hand, uh, that's a that's a goal for me sometime. I mean, that guy, man alive, is he good? Oh yeah, and he is a listener of this show. So well, and I, I the the whole fourteen oh eight discussion you guys did, I devoured. I first off, I loved fourteen oh eight. Fourteen oh eight and the mist are two of my favorite recent King adaptations. I just think they're so good. And uh, I, I really, um, I really dug listening to you guys dig into it and to hear his sort of history with that story was cool. I like your show. That's the point. I like your show. Oh, awesome. Well, that's, that's nice to hear. 
So Rich, where can people find you? Where can Mike Flanagan find you on Twitter <laughs> if he wants to like DM you and uh, he and could just skim through his followers list and he'll find me in there. Uh, it's at Rich Summer on Twitter. That's really the only place that I am these days. I was off of Twitter for so long, and then you know when I became trapped in my home, I figured it's as good a place or even better a place as any to find other humans so well it's very uh, soothing it's very relaxing uh, to be it's on so Twitter. calming and i'm yeah. always so calm on it uh <laughs> i never have to delete things i've written uh that could on end impulse. your career like, yeah. it, absolutely obliterate anyone's image of me uh yeah it's a rough spot to hang out but that's that's generally where i am and uh i do have i have a job coming up uh, a, f- a few days on a movie that I'm excited about. My scenes are with somebody of enough status that I I feel they don't want him to get sick, so they're going to definitely uh, follow <laughs> all the protocols. What I'm most excited about, though, uh, is that it means I get to get a haircut, which I haven't had in eight months. So, oh man, I'm, I'm so jealous. Very much looking forward to that. Exciting stuff. Well, thanks so much for for joining us, man. Yeah, I really this had was a great. good time. Thanks for having me, guys. It was uh, really fun to talk about this movie. I mean, I, it's an old favorite of mine, so uh, to get to trot it out was, was a delight. Thanks for having this me. This is great. I think we did it justice. Absolutely. Many thanks to Rich Summer for joining us for that spirited discussion, even though uh, we still believe he is wrong about uh, the troll segment in, in Cat's yes. Eye. He's a great guest, wasn't he? No, he's, he's great. You know, he just hates trolls. Yeah. We are recording this uh, just for the listeners at home. We are recording this right before the election happens. This is election day, actually, as we're recording this. Yes, we're hours before polls are closing. Yeah. So if if we sound a little distracted, <laughs> or uh, you <laughs> you you hear what sounds like uh, concrete being grinded up into pieces, that's my teeth. Uh, we're on edge, but we still are pushing forward with the show, which means we have a new bonus episode this friday and we have a new episode uh next wednesday let's tell them about those eric which one you want to talk sure uh well let's do the main feed first so everybody listening to this our next week's episode if you want to read up and get ready we are tackling another richard bachman title we are doing thinner or as they say in the movie thinner (laughs) uh this is not a uh, this is not a positive episode. Um, I will warn you right now. If you are a big fan of Thinner, either the book, but a, or the movie, but especially the movie, uh, we really tune up on this thing. I don't think any one of us liked it. Me, Eric, or our guest. And uh, our guest is a very talented writer. He's uh, hosted some of his own podcasts, and he is the man who had the nerve to bring Thinner onto the show. I, I will just say that. But not a not an upbeat episode. You're not. Yeah, we we treat that thing like a goddamn pinata. Not so you think that we came in approaching this with uh, our knives out. It is. It That's is true. something that I That's think. True. I think all all of us like were had either positive or semi positive memories of seeing the movie in the '90s, and and it's pretty much how it didn't hold up on our revisit, and we all kind yes. of agreed on that. That's absolutely what happened. My memories, I, I really like Thinner, and then I rewatched it, and I was uh, repulsed by just about every second of it. So, <laughs> and then this Friday on the Patreon, we're doing an early access episode. We we can say the guest and we can say the title on this one, right? Yes. Okay. So two part thing here. One, uh, the title is not one of the more well known Stephen King titles. It is Battleground which is a story which originally appeared in Night Shift. Am I correct on that? 
Uh, I believe so. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And and you just listened to this episode. We we mentioned Battleground mm-hmm. uh, in in our talk with Rich. Yeah. Battleground is was the premiere episode on the Nightmares and Dreamscapes TV series, which we previously covered with Rob Sheridan on the Crouch End episode. Battleground, though, is the best episode in that entire series. It stars William Hurt. It's about William Hurt. He's a hitman. He's locked in a penthouse with some murderous toy soldiers. And this thing is directed by Brian Henson. And man, it is really, really worth revisiting. Our guest on this one is a gentleman by the name of Fred Raskin, who his name may not be immediately familiar to you, but I promise you, you are familiar with his work. This is Quentin Tarantino's current editor. Uh, So he worked on Django Unchained, Hateful Eight, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He edited Guardians of the Galaxy for James Gunn. He's working on James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. This guy knows his shit. He's a great guest. And he and you know it because he picked this really obscure random title uh, that actually is one of the I think we can say the hidden gems of Stephen King. I agree. uh, Adaptations. Yeah. He was like apologetic about this title, too. He was just like. I'm sure you're going to have a lot of bigger name people with uh, bigger titles. And I'm like, no, 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 this is good. Like, I'm into this. Like, this is exactly what we want out of this show. You know, we want to we want to do the little ones and we want to do the big ones, you know. And um, who else is going to pick Battleground? We love Fred. He's a great guest. And uh, we have a really entertaining conversation with that guy. Yeah, for sure. And uh, that, that'll be early access for our Patreon subscribers. Uh, and that'll hit the main feed sometime in the next couple of months, probably. Uh, but if you want to hear it early, make sure you go sign up for our Patreons. It's really nice over there. You'll enjoy it. We have early access episodes, commentaries, bonus episodes, all kinds of stuff. Well worth your money. If you want to uh, come over and join us over there. There's an election uh, going on, Eric. I can't concentrate on anything else that's going on. I'm trying to plug our Patreon. Get <laughs> right, them the, right, the URL. Yes, yes, please. That is patreon.com slash the Kingcast. I think that it might be time to wrap this up and... Uh, obsessively watch our tvs and and uh Mm -hmm. cry and or laugh i don't know what's in stake for tonight who Uh, knows by the time you're hearing this i have a feeling you might not know what the hell's going on still (laughs) tomorrow when (laughs) when this debuts yeah uh note to myself in the future tomorrow um i hope you're i hope you're having a good time i guess that's it we definitely know no matter what happens in this election uh next week we have a really fun episode for you with thinner all right everyone have a good week and we will we'll catch you on the patreon on friday or on the main feed next wednesday all right later guys